Welcome to You, Me and the Counselling World, the podcast dedicated to student counsellors and their road to getting qualified and beyond. Today, I want to address the power balance that can happen within the therapy room. Hello, I'm back. Oh, it's nice to be with you all again. I hope you're all doing okay and that you are having a good year so far. It's February. I think, um, thank goodness January's over, eh? What a long month. It went on for literally ever. Um, But February seems to be going a little bit quicker for me. I wonder whether it is for you as well. Um, But yeah, hopefully. Fingers crossed you're having a good month so far. So I wanted to make a podcast episode today about something that a student kind of sparked off for me when I was marking some of their work recently. And it was, it got me thinking a lot about the power and both the power balance and the power imbalance that can happen within the therapy room and what we can do as therapists to help mitigate that. So for a lot of my target audience are people that are either newly qualified or actual students that are going through the the qualification and training process at the moment. So for some of you, this might be something that you think about perhaps on your placement. You might think about it in skills practice at college, and you may also think about it if you're in the process of transitioning from training into perhaps something like private practice. And it's really important to get this bit right and to create something for clients that feels safe and comfortable. Now, so much of what I'm going to be talking about today, I think really mostly resonates in terms of face-to-face counselling in the room, rather than perhaps online counselling at this point. Although perhaps as I start talking about this, maybe something will change and I might think about it from an online perspective as well, as we're going along. But as usual, this is not scripted. This is me just coming to you with some thoughts, really, and having a think and a discussion about some of the things that have come to me since I marked that particular student's piece of work a few weeks ago. So it's been kind of on my mind for a bit. And I remember writing in the feedback to that student, oh, this might be an interesting podcast episode. So here I am doing the interesting podcast episode, which I hope you do find interesting. Um, And if nothing else, it might just provide you with a little bit of food for thought for the future. So without further ado, let's get started. The first thing that came to my mind when I was thinking about how we create a space for the client that doesn't feel like we're completely holding all the power as a therapist is to think about chairs. Now, I know that sounds like a really random place to start, but I'm always getting on my soapbox about chairs. And the reason being is that If you have a great big throne and then you have a little chair, it can create something which feels really quite strange. And if you're not feeling like you've got a level seating together, already it feels like there's an imbalance in the room before you've even begun. And I always remember years ago um, when me and my other half 
went to talk to somebody about getting married at their church. Um, we went in and we're not particularly religious people, um, but I have had aspects of religion within my life, I guess. And we went to see the vicar at the vicar's house and we walked in and the vicar was sat on what I can only describe in my memory from all of these years ago as being a great big gigantic throne. And my husband-to-be and me <laughs> were sat facing in a weird angle to where the vicar was sat on these really low kind of stools. They were really low and my word, it felt bizarre because it felt like he was towering over us and he was sat at completely different kind of angle to us. We were almost facing to the side of the room and he was facing forwards towards us. And so from the outset, the moment we sat down in that room, it felt really uncomfortable and it felt like he was holding all the cards somehow and we just felt very small. And it's something that I've reflected on over the years many times since that happened. And although that particular story has got nothing to do with counselling whatsoever, it kind of has in a weird sort of way, because it's about how do we provide a space that feels open, where the client is the expert. If we're going down the person-centred therapy route, the client is the expert, aren't they, on themselves? We're not there to be the big, the big I am. We're there to assist them, to get down in the dirt with them, to help them, to help them to understand. And in order to do that, we need a space that's conducive to them feeling like they've got this, they know themselves. We're going to help them to unpick some of that stuff. But if they're sat on a tiny stool and you're sat on a great big throne of a chair where you're higher than them, then instantly that creates a feeling of imbalance within the room, within the relationship, and within how the client themselves feels being there with you. So to me, that feels crucial. Crucial that they have some aspect of feeling like they're there as equal with you. So when you get your chairs please make sure that they are, you know, of similar size and similar height to each other and that they're placed at a suitable distance apart from each other so that the client has a little bit of space, but not too much. You know, there's a little bit, you don't want to give them loads of physical space and feel like you're you're miles away from each other, but you also don't want to be so close that you feel like you're going to kick each other's feet every time you move. So really play around with that. You can actually sit and do that with somebody else, you know, perhaps get a friend to sit in the chair and you move your other chair around to see what that feels like and really try and get a feel of what that is like. How comfortable is this space for my client? Now, don't get me wrong. I know that sometimes on placement, we don't have a lot of control over this. We turn up and we're not in a room that is useful in terms of therapy. We're not in a standard conventional therapy space sometimes. So I do understand that it's not always possible. But I'm talking about something in the ideal world sense. You know, where possible, it's really absolutely crucial to get something which feels like you've got some something equal, not have to be the same sorts of chairs. You know, don't get me wrong. You can go to car boot sales and things and pick things up. It doesn't have to be expensive matching chairs, but I do feel that it needs to be equal in size and 
height especially the height is the most important thing so it might be that you have a sofa in there and you're sat on the sofa and the client is sat in perhaps in an armchair well that would be fine because they are the same height but it's what happens when the client feels like they're much lower down and you're you're towering above them or vice versa if they feel like they're towering above you what does that do in terms of the power dynamic and how that feels within the room it's about body language isn't it it's that it's the non-verbal stuff that we talk about so i think that's really crucial the other thing that comes to my mind about setting up your therapeutic space is about allowing the client a way for them to see the time and i know that that sounds really basic but i'd never forget going once for some therapy when i was training and I went to see a lady who was a different modality to what I was training in. She was very um, sort of psychoanalytical, I guess. Really interesting. But she had a clock opposite her on the wall behind me and I had no clock. So I couldn't see the time without physically looking at my watch or getting my phone out to see how long I'd had and how much time I'd used. And she would repeatedly look at the clock in a really obvious way. And it brought up so much for me and not in a really good therapeutic sense, but in the sense of I must be boring her. She's not wanting me to talk. She doesn't really want me to be here because it felt like every couple of minutes she was really looking at the clock. And for me, it felt like she wanted me to go and I couldn't work with her. I I had to say, I can't work with you any longer because of how that felt for me. So why not provide your client a clock that they can see? You have a clock one side, they have a clock the other side. That way they know how much time they've got. They're not going to be worrying about, again, that power in imbalance and balance. It's nice for them to have some control. And if they've got stuff they need to bring and they want to talk about, for them to see how much time they've got left of the session before they try and bring that is really helpful. And people don't want to be trying to look at their watch on the side or quickly trying to, you know, press on their phone to see how much time they've got left. It's good to have visibility of clocks both sides. Again, to help with that power dynamic. I hope that makes sense. And um, it sounds very logistical, doesn't it? And a lot of this stuff is. It's about how do I make something that feels even and equal? If you've got a clock, then the client should have a clock. If you've got a box of tissues with an easy reach, the client needs to have a box of tissues with an easy reach. It's about how do we level it up? If you've got a glass of water with you, then of course offer your client a glass of water. There's something about levelling up and making this feel like both of you have are in a balanced place together. Because that's part of that kind of psychological contact, isn't it? It's knowing that both parties want to be there, both parties are engaged well, you need to form part of this process is about informing that space and making sure the space itself is working. Okay, so that's a couple of things that came to my mind. The particular bit that came up for me when I was marking the student's work was when he was talking about clothing. And it was really interesting because it led me down a route that I have thought about many, many, many times. And it is What on earth should we wear when we are working with a client? What should we wear? What could we wear? All of those types of things come up for me. And over the years, 
I've really played around with wearing clothes that are quite sort of smart and sort of smart casual. I've played around with being a lot more casual just to be comfortable. Um, I've played around even with looking at, you know, if I've got a client at a certain time, thinking about what that client wears and trying to match that. I've, I've been down that route before of having a very well turned out client of an evening time when I saw her just that one session that evening, didn't have any of the clients that night. And each evening that I had her, I'd find myself thinking, should I get changed? Should I smarten myself up a bit? Because the client herself was coming straight from work and was very well turned out and very polished. And I didn't feel like I was that polished or well turned out, if I'm honest. And that led to a weird power imbalance, kind of for me, where it felt like I was underdressed for working with this particular client. And I grappled with that for a long time. Like, well, what should we wear when we're working with clients? And over the years, I have swung between being quite smart to smart casual to super casual. I've, I've really played. And I'm not saying I'd ever turn up in like tracksuit bottoms, you know, and, and a sweatshirt. That wouldn't be. That's too casual for me. But certainly things like, you know, perhaps jeans and a jumper and maybe some, you know, I don't know, smart trousers and a T-shirt of some sort, that sort of thing. That's kind of where I've landed. So I will often wear, you know, maybe like a jumper dress or um, leggings with a smarter top. That sort of thing is where I've kind of landed. But it really led me into this place when I was reading about what this student thought about it, was if we turn up and we are wearing heavily designer clothes, for example, whether they're casual or not, and they're covered with designer tags and things on them, could that leave the client feeling a little bit underpowered in the, in the room? Would they instantly think from us that actually this person's got a lot of money, you know, they're buying designer goods, how can they level with me in my life? That could be there for them, couldn't it? But there also could be something about if we turn up and we're too casual, the client may feel that, well, they're not going to take this seriously, they're not professional, I don't feel safe here. And on the other side of the coin, if we turn up and we're too smart and we're kind of in a, you know, an office power dress kind of style, then they may feel that they are, um, what's the word, inadequate in some way, or maybe that they don't know enough and that we are the expert again. It puts us back in that expert place as to, in terms of power. So it's about finding, I think it's about finding that happy medium. Like what should we wear whilst we're working with clients? And my sense is, is that a smart pair of jeans and a nice top, a nice jumper and perhaps a skirt, nothing too revealing, but something that you're going to be comfortable to sit in. You might be sat in that outfit for a number of hours whilst you're working with clients. So we need to be comfortable and we need to be warm. If we've got a cold room, we need to do all we can to make it as warm as we can. But sometimes the rooms get a little bit chilly, don't they? And we want to feel warm. And so I think sometimes if you want to wear a scarf or you want to wear a thicker jumper. Like, absolutely. But there's got to be something there about that power dynamic that comes up because the client makes a judgment about us in the same way as we make a judgment about them. Now, judgment, that's a big word in the counselling world, isn't it? And we spend all of our time talking about how we're going to remain non-judgmental and offer unconditional positive regard and all of those types of things. 
But that doesn't mean to say that we won't make judgments as counsellors. Of course we will. We judge people from the moment we see them. It's what we do with that judgment that matters. So any counsellor that tries to tell you that they never make any judgments about any clients, they must be inhuman. They must be robots because we are human beings. That's what makes us that's what makes us us, isn't it? And that's what makes this role so important that we remain as human as we can. But I think it's important to look at, yeah, what is it I wear to create something about a comfortable, equal space in the same way as we have a comfortable, equal seating? We need that, don't we, within our room? But we also, as counsellors, we need to know that we feel comfortable being there that we can be ourselves. If you've got a little bit of a quirky dress sense, maybe you bring it. Maybe you bring that. What's wrong with that? So long as it's not inappropriate or offensive to anybody else, and so long as it's not too casual, because I do believe that, and it's just my personal view, but I do believe that if we turn up in full sports gear, it looks like we've just come out of the gym, that might not be conducive to the client feeling safe with us, certainly not in the first instance. I mean, of course, I said that this wasn't going to be about online, didn't I? But how many times during um, COVID have you, have you know, if you work with your pajama bottoms on, <laughs> you've been working, perhaps doing your day job in in your office position, perhaps with your pajama bottoms on and a smart top. You know, I think we've all done that at one point or another. But it's how we present ourselves forms part of how the client sees us and sees their power and our power within the room. So it's definitely worth thinking about. What do you feel most comfortable wearing? It would be lovely for you to comment on that. And um, if you go over to my Facebook page, I will pop a little place where people can make comments about what they wear whilst they're doing their counselling work and what their feelings are about clothing. And like I said, those things about designer labels, that's always really interesting, isn't it? We talk about how our counselling space has to be really neutral. But if we turn up with, um, you know, with a, I don't know, a YSL top on (laughs) and our Gucci trainers and their heavily branded designer items. What does that mean for the client who might have turned up straight from work and perhaps aren't feeling brilliant about themselves? It's really interesting, I think, to think about that and what that means for power, but also those very first impressions that we make on a client. The other thing I wanted to think about with this is actually about the process of reviewing our work with clients. It would be a little bit naive of us to just assume that the work that we're doing is top-notch and the clients are really happy and they're, they're getting everything that they need. So again, I think in order to address some of the power balance and the power imbalance within the therapy space, there is also something about offering a regular review with your clients. Um, you know, I generally in my private practice generally do a, a review sort of six sessions in where I might say to them, how do you think this is going? How are you finding this process? Is there anything that you don't like about what we're doing? Is there anything else that you feel that you wanted to talk about we haven't yet been able to bring? And of course, the questions depend on when the review is taking place and how many sessions we've had. But I do think those regular reviews help to balance the power again, because then the client has this space to be completely true and honest about what they're experiencing within the therapy room. And they can share that with us. And we can say to them, we want to understand, have you got other things that you you haven't yet been able to bring? Or I'm noticing that 
you haven't been able to say much about the relationship that you spoke about at the beginning when we first met. And I'm wondering what that's like and what that means to you. It's about those types of very honest conversations that I think are really important. And it gives the client back some autonomy. It helps them to be autonomous within their therapy because they can say, well, yes, I think I would quite like to work on X moving forward. And I quite like to revisit when we did this piece of work moving forwards. It's given them choice. It's given them some power back within their space. This space is theirs. It's their client space. It's their therapy space. It's the place where they come in and they are a client. They are your client. That feels really special to me to think about it in that way. So all in all, there is power within our therapy room, isn't there? And I'm sure there's other things that we could talk about. Things like cancellation policies. What does that do for a client in terms of when you present them with your cancellation policy? What does that mean in terms of their autonomy? Have a think about that when you write your contracts. Have a think about, well, this is my cancellation policy, but there's also needs to be client autonomy within that. And that's probably a topic for another day because that's quite a big topic to think about. And let me know if that, that would be something that you'd like me to talk about, you know, contracting and client autonomy and where the two can cross over sometimes. And I know that what I've spoken about today feels really quite basic in many respects. We're talking about chairs and jeans here, aren't we? But the reality is that it helps to create this dynamic within the room, within the physical therapy space. There's a dynamic. There's also a dynamic when you work online. And in many respects, when you work online, the therapist doesn't have as much power as they or perceived power as they do when they work in their room when the client comes into your space they are coming into your space aren't they they're sitting in your chairs they're there on your your say so and your terms in many respects you're entering into their world on zoom or something they're in their own home what does that mean for the for that power dynamic suddenly they could have amazon turning up couldn't they or other delivery companies of course um, <laughs> they could also have their dinner going on with cooking in the background they could have their dog barking they could get up and be walking around rather than sitting down there is power within that that is different to the therapeutic space on a face-to-face setting and that i think i would make might make a completely separate episode about because this one's going to get really quite long but that's something for to think about is the power dynamic online is very different to the power dynamic in a face-to-face setting. It's a good idea for a future episode. Again, let me know your thoughts. It'd be really lovely to connect with you all. Anyway, this was a quick one today, but I hope my ramblings have made some sense and I hope it gives you something to reflect on when you're thinking about your own therapeutic space and what you provide. Do come and connect with me on Facebook. I would love it if you could and I'm I'm in this process of going down the Instagram route, guys. Instagram, getting down with the kids. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to be doing a little bit of that. And I'm currently doing a little bit of research on putting the podcast onto YouTube as well. So that could be super cool. Um, it would be lovely to connect with some of you over there as well, which would be amazing. But without further ado, I should probably say goodbye. I've got a little bit of a croaky throat. I think I need to go and get a nice cup of tea. And I'll sit down and get this one edited for you and up as soon as possible. But thank you 
for the time that you share with me. Thank you for taking the time to to listen. As usual, if you'd like to leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, it would mean the absolute world to me. Your support means that I can continue to grow the podcast and reach as many student counsellors and newly qualified counsellors as possible. Thank you so much for your time today. Come and connect with me on Facebook. All of the details will be in the show notes below. Without further ado, have a lovely day and I'll catch you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you.